0: Dear Rowan is a podcast about the more obscure elements of Hollywood history. Join me as I profile some of my favorite talents, films, studios, designers, producers, and legends who founded and guided the early days of cinema. These are the pioneers, the rule setters, and the rule breakers, the triumphs and the tragedies. We mind the past to discover wisdom and relevance for modern life. These audio journal entries are a time capsule for my daughter, and I invite you to follow along as I educate her on the stories that intrigue and inspire me. This is Dear Rowan. Dear Rowan, I hope that by now, you have found something in your life that brings you true joy. Not the passing fancy of a new toy, or the excited longing for a special trip. Something that gives you deep down belly feels of delight. A thing that you cannot go a day without doing, seeing, hearing, just being a part of. For me, it is my art that fills the space in my soul. Whether it's making a photograph, taking a brush to canvas and producing a painting, filming a story cinematically, or simply making a sketch with pencil and paper while you gurgle and coo in your crib. I can't go a day without creating something which didn't exist before I gave it life. In our lifetimes, we meet all kinds of different people from a huge array of backgrounds and experiences. Everyone has a story. Everyone has something to hold on to. A purpose, perhaps? Sometimes it's just that one thing they do each day which keeps them looking forward to the next. Then other times, a person finds themselves with a purpose so grandiose that in the end, the entire world will take notice. We call them stars. Suppose that we call them stars because they seem so much higher, brighter, and celestial than we could ever hope to be. Seeing a star on that silver screen, larger than life, lit in the most radiant way, draped in hand-beaded custom finery, hair and makeup skillfully applied by masters of beauty, We elevate them to the heavens and admire them as luminous creatures from another realm. But they are only human. They were born and raised as children who grew into adulthood just as messily as the rest of us. Many of them reveal that more so than their carefully honed talent, It is left up to chance as to whether or not they will get a shot at the silver screen. All one can do is roll the dice, do the work, and hope to be in the right place at the right time. No one seemed to understand this, and remember throughout his success, more than the wildly talented British actor whose name was Eric Harold Portman, born on Saturday, the 23rd of July in 1901. He made more than 30 films during the span of his career, and an untold number of stage productions in TV. Mr. Portman was a theater man through and through. When one says that a person eats, sleeps, and breathes a thing, one can imagine Eric felt this way about theater. Eric was born at 71 Chester Road in a little corner of Booth Town in Halifax, West Yorkshire. This was a mill town producing textiles, presumably for fashion. I can't help but wonder if any of the fine threads for which Eric was outfit in his films were made from textiles produced in his hometown. Early in his childhood, Eric knew he was destined for the stage. He pulled his friends into weekly productions. People attended. He was a hit in a town with nothing else to do. I would venture to say, though, that he was oblivious to the charmingly adorable element to his early work. He knew he was honing a craft. He was at work bettering himself. Eric was living his passion and pushing his destiny forward, one living room production of Shakespeare at a time. Eric realized the importance of putting in the work. He realized early in life that if he wanted something badly enough, he would have to work for it. Portman understood that nothing comes without a price. Hard work and dedication. A single-minded focus and a humble approach to learning were what it took to achieve his dreams. Eric Portman was up to the challenge. Later in life, he would have this to say about working hard to master his craft.
1: If you have only a little talent and a lot of personality, you may succeed as a type. This means you will always be cast for the same parts. Your film life will then not be a long one, shorter than you might wish it to be. In fact, the public will probably tire of you before the studio executives. The public has to be impressed by real acting before it will grant stars long life on the screen. Otherwise, the favorite game is to make and break. It's the old business of killing the god The blood heritage of a myth of enormous psychological importance urges cinemargoers to say, Oh my dear, he's absolutely finished. Of course they never do last long, do they? And this of their favourite of yesterday. The ritual slaying of the star is compensation, a way of working out jealousy. It's only the star with acting ability who need not fear the sinister side of his admirers.
0: Hearing this, it is clear to me. Not only did Eric know that cultivating true talent was worth the years of work and sacrifice, he knew it was the only key to longevity in the business. He was passionate, yet shrewd enough to know the ways of the world and empathize with the audience to which he played. Came to know of Eric Portman when a Christopher Lee rabbit hole came to a crashing halt the moment Eric took the screen in Corridor of Mirrors, a thriller from 1948 co starring Adana Romney, Barbara Mullen, Hugh Sinclair, and Bruce Beffridge. This is a phenomenal British war mystery drama. With a kinship to Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Terence Young directed a script written by Christopher Massey, Rudolph Carter, and interestingly enough, Idana Romney, the co-star, co-wrote the screenplay adaption. Corridor of Mirrors instantly became a favorite, and by the time you're hearing this Roman, I'm sure we've watched it, maybe more than once. Eric was mesmerizing in this lushly lit film, photographed by the masterful Andre Thomas. Boy, did Andre know how to light a face, and what a fine, chiseled face Eric had to offer. Edana Romney is equally striking with her long, angular features, which come together to produce a regal air in this captivating and talented actress. The movie is eerie and mysterious. Eric plays menacing in such a subtle manner that you wonder if he's being menacing at all. It's so easy to understand why she falls into intoxication with him, even though it seems that part of her knows better. His sprawling mansion, nay, castle, has such a gorgeous gothic beauty that getting lost in its long, cavernous hallways for days seems like a welcome, foregone conclusion. The fact that she does so, losing herself to his enigmatic existence, to the detriment of her other relationships, simply seems reasonable. It's easy to speculate, that Eric made a calculated decision to play Paul Mangan in this chillingly subtle manner. Mr. Portman was known for diving deeply into his scripts and developing his characters down to the minute detail, no matter the size of the part. He seemed to live by the adage that there are no small parts, only small actors. leaving his father's menswear shop in the hands of his brother and setting out on his own. Eric spent years in small repertory productions. Repertory theater at that time was a brutal tale behind the scenes for an actor. Regularly, the actors were staging one performance while learning the part for the next performance and looking at scripts for the next performance after that. All this to produce shows that played no more than a weekend or two per run. Eric took on the challenge as if it were college, and for him it was. He trained, he improved. He learned the importance of preparation and knowing his character. This time of his life was like a montage of hard work and dedication. Upon discovering Eric Portman, I threw myself into a tailspin of research. I found very little, because he was a gracious and kind-hearted star, but was also fiercely protective of his private life. Very little was ever written about him. Eric avoided such publicity stunts as posing for photo spreads and gossip magazines and entertaining starlets in the spotlight. He kept to himself, put in solid performances as a dependable actor, and when he clocked out and left the set, Eric just disappeared into his own private existence. Given that he didn't play publicity games, it's a notable testament to his ability as an actor that in 1945 and 1946, He was voted the 10th most popular film star of the British box office. Even in the 40s, actors campaigned for such notoriety, choosing cherry film roles, manipulating trade magazine and gossip mags for column inches, all in an effort to be voted most popular. Our Eric did it by putting in the work. What I found next was a surprise, and admittedly, it made me smile. This made me wonder if his preference for privacy was predicated on necessity because it was actually illegal to be a homosexual in his time, or if he simply didn't care for the spotlight and wanted his work to be the focus of what comes to mind when one hears the name Eric Portman Either case results in us being left to wonder who he shared his life with. Who did Eric go home to at the end of a long day on set? Who did he watch films with in his spare time? Was there a Mr. Portman of Note who loved Eric and made him breakfast in bed on Sunday mornings? Maybe we shouldn't care about such things. Perhaps our stars don't owe their fans such detail of their private lives. But in a society drunk on the personal lives of the gods and goddesses in their favorite films, it stands to reason that Eric spent a good deal of effort to keep such news from the tabloids of the time. There must have been calls with requests for interviews and photo spreads that went unanswered or simply declined outright. A handful of press photos have survived to modern time. In fact, we own several, yet very few candidates. Behind-the-scenes photos, autographs, memorabilia, biographies, interviews, or articles are available today. We were able to find one very fine biography titled, Our Eric, written by another Halifax native, Andy Owens. Through his local connections and tenacity, Mr. Owens was able to put together a well-informed and rather personal look at the actor. It's in our library, and I cannot stress enough how highly I recommend that you read it. Andy Owens paints a charming portrait of a debonair gentleman who honored his craft by being the best at it that he could possibly be. A philanthropic patron of the arts, Just as much as he was an active contributor, Eric never seemed to have forgotten where he came from. His roots mattered to him, and he never strayed far. Portman was not a fan of Hollywood. In fact, he seemed to actively despise it. He did very little work here in the States through the Hollywood system. No doubt that a combination of his British heritage and being a devotee of his craft left a bad taste in his mouth for a Hollywood system built on false images of its stars. Hollywood in the 30s through the 50s which were Eric's most active working years in the film, was a publicity machine greased by fixers who kept clean the public images of their leading men and starlets. Entire personas were created for an actor or actress whose actual life was deemed to be unmarketable. In Britain, all he had to do was not say anything in order to keep his private life to himself. In Hollywood, there would have had to be an entire false life built for him to have been significantly famous, so he passed, with a sizable harumph on his way out. Watching Eric on screen is captivating, if you're paying attention. The casual moviegoer might just see a stoic character who lets others dance around him, but if you are a keen witness to talent, you will see a grounded actor who so comfortably embodies his character that he doesn't need to convince you. Dear Murderer is another Portman favorite of mine, unlike his gothic mystery man in Corridor. Eric portrays the sophisticated and calculating husband, Lee Warren. Trust me, I understand why he wants to kill his wife and her lover. She's a total bitter pill, for sure. 49th Parallel finds Eric in one of several roles that he became noted for in which he expertly embodies a German officer. I am not a fan of war films, Mostly, I just skip them unless I need to defer to someone else's choice. But I pressed play on 49th parallel because of my admiration for Eric. I'm so glad I did. Yes, at first I had the knee jerk, oh, here goes another war film reaction. But about halfway into the next scene with Laurence Olivier, I was starting to get reeled in. By the next scene, I was hooked. It's kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles through Canada with a group of Nazis, with more death and less funny. His portrayal of Lieutenant Ernst Hirth is unflinchingly void of sympathy, even as the faith of his men begins to crumble. The Nazi party is on trial in this film, and it gets a good, solid punch. Eric Portman takes the brunt of this collective blow to the face of the Nazi party. His shoulders bear it well.